be upstanding for Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dance Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. Bruce, will you please explain to this rather bewildered gentleman what's going on with Trump indictments? <laughs> well, it's easy to lose track. We all now need a roadmap, Philip, because there are four of them, each of them with multiple counts. But look, it, it's actually been quite a momentous couple of weeks. You know, before you and I spoke, up to the point that you and I spoke two weeks ago, Trump, while dealing with two significant indictments, one in New York and one federal, was being charged with what you might think of as as interesting but peripheral act, peripheral acts, sort of like Al Capone not paying his income taxes. You know, there was the hush money to Stormy Daniels, uh, which is the New York indictment. There was all of those classified documents in the Mar-a-Lago toilet or wherever it was he hid them. Um, the, the the first federal indictment, but in the last two weeks we've had. Um, a kind of sea change in the legal landscape. First, we had Special Prosecutor Jack Smith bring a massive federal indictment uh, against Donald Trump by name and uh, f for violating federal voting law for uh, conspiring to defraud the United States, saying essentially that the entire sequence of events leading up to January 6th was a fraudulent scheme by Donald Trump to um, hold on to office illegitimately. This was the first case to go to the heart of the matter. Now, just a few hours ago, uh, late last night here, we had uh, the Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, in Atlanta, Georgia, a local district attorney and you know in the US state the state legal systems are separate as they are in Australia from the federal um, they go to a state judge in on uh, a state grand jury in Georgia and secure a massive 41 count indictment against not only Trump himself which is where the Jack Smith uh, federal indictment is is limited thus far to Trump himself but to a 41-count indictment in Georgia against Trump and 18 other individuals, including some of the biggest names in the Trump orbit. Um, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York and Trump's former personal lawyer. Mark Meadows, who'd been the White House chief of staff. The lawyers, Sidney Powell, who was promoting all those conspiracy theories. Um, what these two indictments, which now the the federal indictment and this massive sweeping um, local indictment under Georgia's organized crime laws have done is paint a very specific picture of, um, of, of the Trump's attempts to hold on to office, not as an exercise of free speech, not as a matter of kind of generic bullying or bluster or PR, um, the sort of cynical way in which it's been portrayed, but as an ongoing criminal conspiracy. And, and in some ways, the, the Georgia indictment, which we talked about as a likely thing last time, is far more specific than, than we understood. It really takes us um, into 
the day-to-day actions and decisions that led up to these events. For example, we see in the Georgia indictment Trump campaign officials gaining illegal, unauthorized access to voting machines in a rural Georgia county. The very thing, ironically, of course, that Trump himself was accusing Democrats of doing, here his campaign actually was doing that. Um, we see the the repeated attempts in the Georgia indictment, we see repeated attempts to um, pressure Georgia officials, many of them Republicans, to subvert their oaths of office. So all of those phone calls from Trump to the governor and the secretary of state saying, can't you find me 11,000 plus votes? As Georgia, as the Atlanta DA, Fulton County DA, Fonnie Willis is portraying it, amount to a criminal conspiracy to pressure public officials to subvert their oaths of office on and on and on. Um, It now means that Donald Trump, still the front runner for the Republican nomination, is running for the presidency, needing to respond to four separate criminal indictments in four different jurisdictions. Nothing like this has ever happened at any point in American history. I mean, do you, no do you, do you sense rising panic in the Trump camp? In the short run, Trump himself seems happy as a clam. That is to say, he gets to go out and trumpet his victimization to his core supporters um, for whom this is all further evidence of deep state conspiracy. He gets to raise money off the back of these indictments. So, you know, in the short run, you could argue that Trump is feeling like he's being made stronger, that he's like some some uh, superhero movie monster who who the more you attack him, the stronger he gets, right? That's how Trump is feeling at the moment. The reality is rather different. Um, his campaign is in financial trouble. It's already uh, outspent its resources by a significant margin. Um, it, it's entirely possible that if Trump doesn't raise enough money, he's going to have to dip into his personal fortune to pay for his lawyers, which he's never wanted to do. It's all been a, a, a grift to get his legal bills paid. Um, but there's real financial pressure on the campaign. And, you know, surely anyone um, still attached to the Trump orbit who understands American politics will know that however much these indictments strengthen the resolve of Trump's core supporters, the more they alienate moderate Republican and independent swing voters who are so crucial in a general election. And indeed, there's, we're beginning to see some erosion in the polls. Trump so the, still you think that this may be a tipping point for the anti-Trump forces in the Republicans? I, I think we're in such uncharted territory that to know what the tipping point is politically is very, you know, is very hard to read. And of course, there are all kinds of other unknown impacts at work. So, 
just as all of this was unfolding last week, uh, we had another development in the Hunter Biden case where uh, Daniel Weiss, the Justice Department official who has been investigating the Hunter Biden matter, um, was named a special prosecutor by Attorney General Garland in a gesture toward um, maintaining the credibility and independence of the Hunter Biden investigation now that it looks like it may have to go to trial. Um, you know, there's all there's all kinds of stuff spinning out, and I, I I wouldn't want to say with any confidence that this is the tipping point. But I think what we now see for the first time is a full legal narrative in two different dimensions. This broad federal case directed against Trump alone, at least at this point, uh, and the Georgia case directed against. 19 people, including Trump. Also important to recognize that in the Georgia case, the Georgia case poses in some ways a unique peril to Trump because unlike the federal cases, if Trump is elected president, he can't pardon himself out of a state indictment, right? He could arguably pardon himself if he's president under under the presidential pardon power, uh, it, however weird that seems. But Georgia is its own state, and the, no president has authority to pardon criminal charges brought under state law. So, you know, there's a there are different perils in each of these cases. Four cases also mean that Trump himself and his attorneys and his representatives are going to be spending the next year in court rather than campaigning a lot of the time, and that also provides certain openings to his opponents within the Republican Party, though, you know, again, who knows? His strongest opponent, you know, Ron DeSantis, is a very, very weak opponent who can't seem to capitalize in any significant way on Trump's weakness, even as DeSantis himself keeps running, if it were possible, even to Trump's right on culture war issues uh, and on firing prosecutors he doesn't like and things like that. No matter how much of, of an authoritarian playbook Santa proves uh, to embrace, voters in the Republican Party thus far seem to say, you're not the real Trump. If I want Trump, I want the real deal. So okay. politically, who knows? Legally, he's in a lot of trouble. Okay. Now, the Australian hearts go out to the, the peoples of Hawaii. We know what these fires are like from bitter personal experience. <clears throat> and that reminds me, that we should make a brief visit to Montana because of a significant court win, which involves it, climate change. Indeed. It's really, it's, it's really notable. There's uh, a, a fantastic group of young people in Montana uh, who brought a lawsuit last year saying that climate change and catastrophes like now Maui fires and other massive firefighters um, are... A, causing them irreparable um, uh, emotional harm, that the state has the ability to make this better, and in particular, that in Montana, the state constitution um, requires a protection of the environment. The state gives uh, – the state constitution of Montana gives citizens the right to enjoy – uh, a healthy environment. And um, the other day, on Monday, a remarkable judge there 
um, in, in the case of Held versus Montana, upheld the, these kids, said they were right, uh, said in a, in a very carefully uh, carefully worded ruling that the damage to children's lives that in a in a physical health sense the damage to their emotional lives from the burden of worrying about the future and in particular the damage to the environment from the state refusing to consider fossil fuel impacts and other kinds of environmental assessments is a violation of constitutional rights now you know will this hold up uh, on appeal we don't know but it's the leading edge of litigation, this Montana constitutional language that says residents have the right to a clean and healthful environment and that this is, needs to be maintained for present and future generations is paralleled in a number of other states. There are also other lawsuits against fossil fuel companies and against state and federal governments that are going to begin to proceed. And, you know, this is kind of a I think an opening inning, if you will, in a long legal uh, baseball game that is going to play out for a while. We're only in the first inning, but this is kind of this is kind of like a home run uh, when a player gets up to bat for their first at bat. You're using uh, sporting metaphors which are not entirely familiar in Australia, but uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Bruce. We've been talking to Bruce Shapiro. Bruce is back in a fortnight. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.